Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. The pro-life battle is a spiritual battle. It's rooted in the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us the attitudes we need to have as we fight this battle with love, but as we fight it also with clear determination to expose the truth. We're going to talk about some of the tactics, some of the behaviors that we should or shouldn't do, and some of the ways that our voting can impact this crucial issue. So, Father Frank, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Um, so, I, I'm, many people who are listening will know who you are, but for those who don't, Father Frank is, he is devoted to saving uh, children of God who are in the womb, who are bearing God's image, and he is he has devoted his his work and his efforts to to this goal of making abortion unthinkable and towards the goal of um, giving a voice to those who don't have one. And so, Father Frank, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you for for what you do and and for for being here to to talk about things. Well, it's always good to talk with you, Jacob, and your audience. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great time for the pro-life movement, and it's always been such a fundamental issue. And I know I'm sure we've got many, many listeners that are uh, equally committed to this cause and uh, eager to make progress. So it's a pleasure to have this conversation. Awesome. So I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians, and I'd like to talk to you about how what your thoughts are on it. Um, so, yeah, this okay. is Ephesians uh, 6, 12. For our struggles, or for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So that's verse verses, yeah, verse twelve. Um, and then the contrast, or bring that into the next part, which is out of verses seventeen to twenty. It says, "Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit." which is the word of God and, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Um, actually, and just focusing on those. So it, it sounds like this, the sword is God's word and we're fighting, we're, we're fighting against these authorities. What are your thoughts on this passage and how it can, how we can use God's word to, to engage people in our pro-life work, in our communities, maybe, and also on the sidewalk of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. You, well, you know, the battle over abortion, I mean, it's a battle of life against death. Abortion is death. It's killing. Uh, there's a living being there. It's a human being. Uh, abortion kills that human being. And those that are promoting abortion, even though many of them don't like to say they are pro-abortion, at the very least, it's undeniable that that's, in fact, the effect of the stance they take. If they end up uh, trying to convince people that abortion is okay, or if they try to stop us from uh, trying to stop it, or if they elect people that are going to continue it or expand it, uh, they are indeed acting in a pro-abortion way. Pro-abortion is pro-death. Now, who else is pro-death? when it comes to the bigger spiritual picture. Well, we know that there's a, a battle. 
between God and the devil. Not that they're on an equal playing field. They're not. God wins by definition. He's God. So he's the almighty. Nobody can, uh, uh, can win against God. But the devil nevertheless tries. Uh, he's a, a spirit that has rejected God. There are other evil spirits along with him. God's word makes this clear, and so does the experience of many human beings. The word that we just heard, the passage you read from Ephesians, is talking about this battle. It is ultimately a battle between life and death. And, and what constitutes it? What's, what's this battle made of? Uh, we read in, in a couple of other passages in Scripture, uh, we look at... Um, for example, let me just trace this out, Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12. In Isaiah 14, uh, and, and also Philippians 2, these are three scriptures that we're going to kind of merge together. In Isaiah, the prophet is speaking against the king of Babylon, and as the prophets often did, he's chiding the king for his arrogance. And he says to the, he actually calls the king Lucifer. Now, Scripture can be seen on these two different levels. It, it, you know, these passages are usually addressing a concrete historical circumstance of their time. But then the, the word contains a significance, a spiritual meaning that goes across the centuries and goes beyond the specific circumstances in which it was written. So in this passage, Isaiah calls the king Lucifer, and he says, you're arrogant. He's, and then he goes to describe this arrogant mindset. He says, well, you said, I will be like God. I will ascend to the throne and uh, assert myself. Okay, so this historically is against the king's arrogance. But spiritually, something that crosses the ages is that's the thinking of the real Lucifer, the devil, that he wants to be like God. And we see this then in Revelation 12. It says, war broke out in heaven. The devil and his angels battled against God. They wanted to take the place of God. And the faithful angels who were on God's side were led by Michael. And that name itself is a battle cry saying, who is like God? It's like, you can't ascend to the throne by your own choice. Who is like God? Nobody. Rev uh, so while, while that war... And the passage from Isaiah shows us the thinking of the evil one to assert yourself, to take the place of God. Philippians 2 shows the thinking of the Holy One because Jesus, whom the passage says was equal to God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but rather he took the opposite approach. It says he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. So it's referring obviously to his becoming human, his incarnation. And then he went even further, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. And then Paul goes on to say, because of this, God, the Father, highly exalted him. So it reminds us of what Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. So the, the, this, is, this, this constant battle between Satan and God, and the devil hates God. And he knows he can't destroy God, so he tries to do what he considers the next best thing, and that is destroy what is made in the image of God, human life. By destroying human life, the devil is attacking God, 
because we are his image. How does he accomplish that? The attitude behind abortion is this same kind of self-exaltation that we see in these passages in Isaiah, in Revelation, and we see the opposite of it in Philippians. Either I'm going to say I'm going to be like God through my own choice, or I'm going to say I'm going to humble myself before God and he will make me like himself by his choice. Uh, that's the spiritual battle when it comes to the abortion issue. And it's part of the whole larger eternal spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. Yeah. And it, and it seems like if someone sits on the sideline and essentially is not doing something, you know, for or against, you know, in this in this battle, um, what are your thoughts on someone who is choosing to do nothing in this space? Like, how would you encourage them to get involved or what are they empowering by not getting involved? Well, the Lord knew what he was doing when he when he made us and when he put us in the specific time and place of history that he put us in. So, and he gave us all certain talents, certain opportunities and a certain understanding about things going on. And of course, his word tells us in so many different places, including the passage you read from Ephesians, get involved in the battle, put on, Paul is saying, put on the armor of God because you are in the battle. You know, in a sense, it's not a battle that simply we decide to join. It's a battle that enjoins us, whether we like it or not, because evil is floating around us. It wants to uh, consume us. It wants us to do its bidding. And God wants us to serve him because he knows that's how we're going to be happy. We should have no fear of the battle. God has equipped us for it. And we have to understand this is what love means. If we're called to love our neighbor, love God and our neighbor, well, then uh, uh, being involved in the battle for truth, for goodness, for justice, uh, for the protection of life, uh, this is how we carry out that love. The motivation, therefore, for being involved is simply uh, wanting to follow the commandment of love uh, itself. Love is not some kind of a vague thing. It has a specific content. It means we do specific things to help our neighbors. And, uh, and life is full of opportunities each day to do that, whether it's, you know, the, the traditional spiritual and corporal works of mercy, you know, instructing people in things they do not yet know, uh, sharing the truth about God, about our faith, about about uh, uh, justice and the demands of justice and the sanctity of life. Uh, all of this is part of the battle, as well as the physical opportunities to save people's lives or to feed the poor. Uh, comfort those who are lonely, all the good works that we're called to be involved in. Uh, it's not simply doing good works. It's the battle between advancing good or advancing evil. Mm. So going back to the, yeah, the, script, the, scripture, the scripture in Ephesians, um, how have you seen God's mm. word act like a sword when battling for life, uh, when engaging where have you seen, where, how, how have you seen that um, take place? Well, we see it, first of all, in the actual rescuing of people from abortion. And, the, you know, when we talk to those who feel like they need to have an abortion, uh, very often they feel alone. And the four words taken from 
the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that God speaks to us. And they really summarize the gospel beautifully are the words, I am with you. God breaks through that isolation and that loneliness. And so many times, whether it's standing in front of an abortion facility or in a pregnancy center in the counseling room or just people talking to a friend or a relative about abortion, those who feel they have to do it feel so isolated. And the word of God that says, I am with you, not just that God is with them, but that we, the people of God, are with them, has time and time again, I've seen it before my very eyes in all those settings, and it's happening every day in all those settings, that people are awakened and enlivened and find new hope when they realize they're not alone, when they realize there are other people that care for them and that there's a God who cares for them. So that's one thing. Now, those same words help people who are in despair because they had an abortion in the past. Mm. And this is where our campaign called Silent No More comes in because uh, for 20 years now, uh, Priests for Life in conjunction with Anglicans for Life has had this campaign where those who have had abortions and have found the forgiveness that comes in Christ are speaking up about that experience, are speaking up about being rescued from that despair. And again, we see it in all these contexts. It might be in uh, just a communication between, uh, between friends, or it might be in the announcement, and the, it might be in the preaching that takes place in um, parishes. You know, as somebody who's been doing this pro-life ministry full-time for 30 years now, I've preached in so many hundreds of parishes around the country, specifically on abortion, and I've seen in the course of the homily, people in the uh, congregation get transformed, uh, and especially in this manner here of having perhaps been in despair over their own abortion, have found through the preaching of, of a scripture or homily that discovery that there is mercy that they didn't think was there. And that's one of the most beautiful things to see. I've been also had a front row seat in some dramatic conversions. Uh, I was spiritual guide to uh, Norma McCorvey, uh, the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade, uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, the architect of the abortion movement in America. I accompanied both of them on their journeys to a pro-life position. Um, and more recently uh, in the history of the movement, people like Abby Johnson, uh, I, you know, I was one of her spiritual guides as well. And, and one of the first people she turned to when, uh, when she was convinced she had to come out of the abortion industry. So the wor it's the word of God in all these circumstances. And these people will, will tell you that, uh, that that word is what inspires them to have hope. First of all, to enlighten them that choosing life is the right thing, not choosing death. And secondly, to have hope, even after they have chosen death in the past, that there can be new life for them. Mm. Yeah, speaking of speaking of Abby, it, it seems like her her story, her you know how she experienced abortion firsthand by being brought into that abortion room and being asked to hold the mm. the ultrasound wand as she could observe um, the monitor. Um, I, it just seems like. I can imagine someone who is, you know, well, like her, who might be, you know, you know, she, she was working for Planned Parenthood at that point, but someone who is supportive of Planned Parenthood or as someone who is sitting on the sidelines and not trying to get engaged in this controversial topic, 
if either one of those people were to have the experience like Abby did of of being in that abortion clinic room and being able to personally observe what is taking place in the, you know in the in just the complete that that scenario, I think it would be life changing to a lot of people, and very few people have been in that in that space. For, you know, many of us have not been there who have not seen that. What are your thoughts on you know how how impactful that might be? Like, the universal truth of just simply observing what is happening, happening and seeing that baby respond to the instruments and so on. You know, it is the most impactful thing. And we can think of it, first of all, in the very broad terms, uh, well beyond the abortion issue, any kind of act of violence, violence continues in our society to the extent that it's hidden. People don't see Mm. the victims and the big evils that our society has fallen into in the past, slavery and segregation being two, two big examples. The perpetrators got away with this because the victims were largely hidden. And that's why the fighters, for example, against the slave trade, William Wilberforce, for example, people can read, read his story and, you know, the book and the movie, Amazing Grace. What did he and his collaborators do? They did what St. Paul talks to us in the chapter just before we read from a moment ago, Ephesians 5. He says, don't have anything to do with the fruitless works of darkness, but rather expose them. So we bring these works of darkness and violence to the light of day. And that's what Wilberforce and his companions did. They, they would draw pictures of, well, slave, slave trade, that, that can be a, a, an abstract concept. But when they drew pictures of how the slaves were, were pushed into these ships, you know, the inhumane way in which they're, they're just crowded in there. Um, and they posted these pictures all over town people started to put a picture to the words, oh, slave trade, that's, that's not a good thing. Or when Wilberforce took out the, the, the shackles and you know, showed them to his friends and said, this is what we're talking about. Uh, it, there's nothing like it. Uh, the same thing with, with Martin Luther King Jr. and the fight against segregation. They, when, when the peaceful demonstrators for calling for equality for the black community were attacked, the first thing that their attackers attacked were the cameras because they didn't want people to see what was about to happen to these peaceful uh, protesters. They didn't want them to see the face of this, of this evil of segregation. And then when Emmett Till, the young teen, black teenager, was killed in an overt act of, of racism, uh, his mother said, I want there to be an, oh, I want it to be an open casket funeral because I want people to see what they did to my boy. This is the whole, I mean, it's, it's really common sense. You want to save a victim. You expose the violence. You expose the violence by showing the pictures, showing the videos, showing the images of what this violence does to the victim. Now, when it comes to abortion, yeah, ironically, I mean, some, some get it in the movement. And, 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 and some have been showing these pictures and Abby's experience and uh, the movie that came out subsequently not only shows the reality, but shows the impact of the reality on, on, on her who saw it. 
some and yet some don't get it. And 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 we have we have some within our movement who are steadfastly opposed, or at the very least, they're hesitant to implement this time-tested tactic of simply showing the victim. And and it's not always clear why there are some in our movement who are who are so uh, opposed to this. Um, because, I mean, it's so consistent with history. It's so consistent with the experience and so many people. If you ask many of the current pro-life leaders and activists, those who are really, you know, devoting significant time and energy to fighting abortion, ask them, how did they get involved? Why? What was the spark that got them so active? And for a majority of these people, some part of that journey, some part of that awakening was seeing the victims, whether it was a picture of, you know, aborted babies, a video. Uh, there have been certain key videos along the history of our movement, like the silent, silent scream by Dr. Nathanson, Eclipse of Reason, Hard Truth by uh, my friend Greg Cunningham and, and other movies and films. This has been a significant portion of awakening a lot of people, not only converting people from pro-abortion to pro-life, but taking pro-life people and converting them to a deeper level of activism and engagement. It's, it's clear. It's out there. It's part of Abby's story and part of the story of, of many in the movie. Yeah. And my interest, well, I guess my viewpoint on using the pictures of aborted babies it seems to create good conversations on a college campus. I don't, I think when someone uses those pictures on a abortion clinic sidewalk, it seems to be a different result. Like it seems to mark the people on the sidewalk maybe as like the opposition more so than like a loving, caring group. What are your thoughts about using those pictures on the sidewalk? Do you think that, I mean, and maybe it's, yeah, I, I seem to, I, um, of course, some of the things that I would normally want to see on the sidewalk um, are, are they seem to be sometimes less effective as the opposition ramps up escorts and they ramp up their ability to yeah usher people in and avoid conversations. Well, you know, on whether it's on the sidewalk or or on the campus, um, a lot of it has to do with the demeanor of the people that are holding the signs. I mean, there's a lot of elements that work together to create an impression. Um, for example, a lot of those that I work with in the movement who put up these public displays will do it in a very thoughtful way. You know, first of all, the question of where is it that we are state? Where are we stationing ourselves? Um, you know, you don't want to put yourselves next to an elementary school or a children's park or whatnot. And then wherever it is that you are positioning yourself, you know, the people I work with, they put warning signs uh, several blocks ahead. So if people are driving along or walking along and they're about to come near one of these displays, they'll be warned. Hey, listen, warning, graphic pictures ahead. You might want to, you know, avert your eyes or take a different route. Uh, such such and such. Now, I've stood in front of abortion facilities holding these signs, and I've had people that were coming in there for their appointments stop in their tracks when they saw the sign and uh, say, oh, I, I don't want to do that to my baby. Is that what abortion is? 
So they don't know. And, um, and very often that's the, the, the one thing that, that awakens them. It, it goes, you know, it goes beyond words. It cuts through rhetoric. I've seen, I've seen it for myself. It's stopping people also just on the public sidewalk. Like we did a, a demonstration. I remember one of the demonstrations we did in New York city and we're just in a general public sidewalk holding the signs. And, you know, we had young women coming up to us and say, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I would never do that to me, to the, to my baby. I would never. Oh, boy. You know, is that what abortion is? So the word itself has lost uh, its meaning for, for a lot of people. And the pictures actually a lot of people will react less angrily towards the pictures than they would towards a sign, for example, that says abortion kills children. And that might be counterintuitive. People might think, well, wait a minute, you know, the picture is going to get them more angry than the words. But it's the other way around for this reason, that if you hold a sign that says abortion kills children, and you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. The life chain does that. We just had the national life chain at the beginning of October. Um, but But when people see that, it's like you're telling them a conclusion. When you show the picture, you're showing the evidence that compels the conclusion. So people are, in a sense, they might be more horrified, but they're less threatened. It's like, okay, this is the evidence of what it is. Now I've got to come to my own conclusion. Yeah, that pretty much looks like abortion kills children, you know, but you're not telling them the conclusion. You're just giving them the evidence. Uh, but, you know, it depends also on the behavior of the person who's holding the sign or what they might be saying. You know, you don't have to be out there giving the impression that you're angry or judgmental. You, you can be holding one of these pictures and be very, very gentle and kind and, and say to people, convey to people, hey, everybody, listen, I we're just trying to educate the public. We're just trying to help people. And uh, it can be received in that way too, even though it's very disturbing. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like it's important to use the imagery or the words or the demeanor that will prevent people from entering that building where lives are ended. And if, if, if the approach yes. of showing the evidence works better or as good as using certain words or certain certain you know essentially i feel like we're trying to tell tell um it's like the equivalent of telling the jews to not enter this building because this is where they're killing the jews mm. or or we're telling you mm -hmm. know people to not yeah essentially we're telling people to not enter this building because the life was the life within them is the you know is an image bearer of god and they're going to have trauma after making this decision and they do have other choices that are life-giving and healthy and holistic and that they will enjoy for generations. And, but yeah, in the end, I feel like, yeah. Uh, and those images are very hard to look at. And I know for myself, it, it's hard to look at them, but you're right. They have a truth, a universal truth that is present Yes, um, and I don't want young children, or you know, I'm not trying to cause trauma to someone who's not walking in to Planned Parenthood, or I'm not trying to try to cause trauma to someone who is, you know, you know, of a younger age. Um, and and I like the idea of the warning labels, and and really, I guess Planned Parenthood really should come yeah. with a, phys a physical warning label of you know, 
you know, yeah, like that actually is what they really need because um, it, it's it, yeah. you know, it's probably more true for them than it would be for a pack of cigarettes. It's more true for them than than a lot of things that might have warning labels. Um, you know, I, I think of like kids' toys having choking, la- la- you know, labels and cigarettes. It might cause cancer. Something in California, all sorts of things cause cancer. You know, Planned Parenthood, you know, ends the lives of some percentage of the people that enter the building. Like it's, it's very intense. You know, and then that ties in with what I was saying before about our silent no more campaign. So many of these moms that have had abortions and they give their testimonies through silent no more are saying, I was never told by Planned Parenthood that it would cause me this kind of distress, that it would cause me infertility, that it would cause me infection, that it would it would uh, do all the damage it did, whether it's physical or psychological. They keep saying it's a constant refrain of the testimonies, and our, our audience can, can find these testimonies at uh, abortiontestimonies.com. We've got them all. It's like a library. And you read through them and, and or watch the videos, and you see this you see this constant refrain nobody told me nobody told me well why not i mean why why if they believe, they say they believe in women's choice don't you believe she should know what she's choosing to know what you're choosing doesn't take away your choice it enhances your choice if you, what you know makes you more want to choose it well then you're choosing it with more more gusto if what you learn makes you not want to choose it well that's that's actually ennobling your choice because it's truly your choice based on your knowledge. And yet we see the opposite behavior from the other side. It's like they're ashamed of what they're offering. And I often use the example that if I stood on the sidewalk holding one of those signs showing an abortion, if I weren't dressed like this, which pretty much tips people off that I'm that I'm pro-life, although there are pro-abortion clergy. But let's say I was just dressed in usual, normal clothes, and I weren't saying anything, and I weren't handing out any flyers, and and there was no words on the sign. I'm just an ordinary person standing with a sign showing an aborted baby. What would people think I was doing? Would Would they think I was against abortion, or would they think I was for it? Would they think that by holding that sign, and again, I'm not giving them any clue about my position. Would they think that I was trying to stop it or that I was trying to sell it? Hey, everybody, look, here's what you can get down right down the street. You know, third uh, third door on the left. You know, you can get your abortion. Is that how I would advertise an abortion? And obviously, everybody who sees me doing that is going to know that I'm there protesting it. Why? Because you just look at it and you see how terrible it is. And that's why the other side doesn't want to show it they don't even want to describe it. And 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 also we talk about the politicians here. They don't want to describe it either. We're in, you know, we're in election season and we got a lot of pro-abortion politicians out there. But you know what? You'll never hear them describe what they're defending. They'll defend abortion. And some of them will defend it, you know, without any restrictions or conditions or limitations. And yet if you ask them, well, well, sir or ma'am, how's an abortion done? Could you please describe the procedure? Um, you know, you don't have to have any expertise in it. Just tell me what's in the medical textbook or tell me what you mean by the word. They are unwilling to Hmm. do that because they know as soon as they describe it, use the words from the medical textbooks. The medical textbooks talk about arms and legs and decapitation and dismemberment. They actually use those words. 
then it, it, they, they, if they describe it, the people who are listening are going to say, this is not good. <laughs> this is not something that we want. This is not something that should be uh, permitted. Uh, and that, you know, that's a pretty good evidence of who's right and who's wrong in this whole debate. You know, if they're the ones that are pushing it and selling it and defending it, but they're not even willing to describe it, something's wrong with that picture. And they're really, bottom line is their behavior, whatever their words are, their behavior is showing that they're actually ashamed of it. Wow. Well, I got to say, I've been very timid at using aggressive or some of these bloodier photos, but I think you've made a really good case. And I think I am, yeah, I'm persuaded to, yeah, to try, try using these. And, and even though it's hard and it feels you know, it's not easy to hold a sign like that. It's not easy to to hold up a sign, but really, the the clear op you know the clear opposition well, not opposition but the clear alternative is it's good to look as a, it's good to be identified as a clear alternative. Um, the 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 number one competitor to John Deere is not green. <laughs> you know, the number one competitor to John Deere is, I believe, orange. <laughs> and so are red or blue, mm -hmm. but they're not green because it's good to be seen as a different group. And I think very often we think yeah. if we can somehow get closer to the client or the patient, the person walking in by resembling the people that are there, we might be able to get our voice heard. But at the same time, if we can be seen as a clear alternative that is caring um, and it's not up to us, the, you know, if they mark us as the enemy, that's, that's on them to be marking us as the enemy. It's not really up to us, but, but showing universal truths, showing the, re the results, showing what really happens in an abortion, being able to clearly articulate, you know, the reasons why abortion harms babies and women and men, all, everyone yes. involved, um, and it's going to come across as very, you know, very much against the information that Planned Parenthood is putting out. So I really appreciate your your um, articulate way of describing how that can, you know, be held with love. And and to me, I've, I've often looked at those pictures as being marked as hate. Like when it comes to like the bloodiness, it just feels very hateful. But the but it's true, and it doesn't have a posture or a words. It's just simply the result of abortion, like the, the medical book look right. very hateful because it's such a violent act and it's hard to hold that while trying to be postured with love. Like it's a really hard thing to, to hold that up. But I think what you're saying is this is true and I'm sorry it's true. And I'm sorry. And, and, and having the warning label is amazing because it's like, I, I have to present you something that's really hard, but you're about to walk into, you know, a slaughterhouse. And this is, I mean, it's, I really don't want to mm -hmm. use that word. I don't, I don't want to be so abrasive, but this is, what it is. There's no other way to frame it. It's what it is. Exactly. You know, sometimes what you were just saying reminds me of the instances where some of our um, members of Silent No More, who themselves have, have lived with and continue to live with the guilt of, of an abortion, have themselves used these signs to persuade others. Now, obviously, they have the greatest compassion for the people that feel they have to do this because they did it themselves. Uh, and yet they are doing that in, in just complete solidarity with these women and women. And so many of them are saying, you know, I wish, I wish someone had shown me 
ahead of time what this was, or at least told me uh, the truth about what this was. But now I have to live with the consequences. So, uh, and as far as you know, as far as the other side hating us, I mean, look what they did now post uh, the Dobbs decision, right? Dobbs decision comes out even when the leak came out in May, and it was like they go attack the pregnancy centers, and they're still attacking them. And they want to attack them illegally, too. And some of these uh, Democrat lawmakers, they want to try to shut down these clinics. Well, wait a minute. I mean, it's hard to find a more compassionate group of people that are sitting down every day with, you know, moms, dads, grandparents, people who feel that, that they have to have an abortion. And they're giving them all this loving care. And these clinics are these these pregnancy centers. Some of them are medical. A lot of them are medical clinics, too. They are filled with beautiful baby clothes and 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 diapers and formula and parenting classes. These are just people so filled with love, and yet they're branded as the enemy. The other side. Here's what I have to understand about the battle between pro-life and, and pro-pro-choice. The other side doesn't care what we do, how we look, how we sound, what we say, what we don't say, what we do, how we dress. They really don't care. We are the enemy. They don't make a distinction between, well, you know, this group is doing the legal work. This group is doing the pregnancy centers. This group is protesting. This other group is is doing whatever they do. They don't care. We're all against abortion. And therefore, we are all and always the enemy to them. Uh, Because everything we do in the pro-life movement, even the gentle and, and just loving work that these pregnancy centers do, in the end, the reason they hate us on the other side is that this is taking away business from the abortion industry. We, we think of it very often in terms of a philosophy, a morality. A, 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 they're looking at it as a business. Abortion is a business. And every time we save a life, whether it is through holding one of those signs or sitting down in a counseling room in a pregnancy center, boils down to the same thing. We'd save a life. They are deprived of business. They are deprived of money, and uh, they're deprived of power. So this is uh, this is at the heart mm. of the uh, of the battle. Wow. So when it comes to the um, when it comes to the sidewalk, how would you suggest um, ministering to an escort who might have an umbrella, might be a team of escorts? How would you ah, how would you suggest engaging yeah. with Planned Parenthood escorts in a way where you know maybe they're told not to engage, maybe they're told maybe they're okay engaging, um, but what might we say or how might yeah. we use God's word? How might we use praise songs or you know worship music that's sort of also a battle you know a battle cry or using music as part of this um, spiritual conflict on this sidewalk area? How, how might we use our tools and thoughts and ideas to engage the escort more so in this case? Because we're, the escorts are there the entire time, while clients may come every, mm. let's say, every 15 minutes. So we've got 14 minutes with that escort mm-hmm. without the client's engagement piece playing in. That's right. Yeah, that's a good observation, a good question. I've, I've prayed in front of almost all the abortion mills in the country over these 30 years and uh, seeing a lot of different scenarios with these escorts or death escorts, as we call them. Um, Probably the most 
common and most well-advised way to deal with these people is to simply do what you're there to do and do it the way you would do it if those people weren't mm. even there. Because the, the best way we show our attitude is to simply be who we are. Let me illustrate this very concretely. So I go to a place, as I often done, uh, to, to lead a prayer vigil. And let's say there's a whole team of these escorts there. Maybe there's a dozen of them. They're standing there. They're ready. Let's say it's right at the beginning of the appointment time. The place just opened. They're ready to literally, they descend upon this, this mom who's going there for the abortion. They surround her so that we can't hand her literature. Uh, they try to distract her from anything we're saying. Okay, but before the, these clients arrive, like you say, we have more time to talk to these escorts. I'll start off by saying, not necessarily addressing them directly, but I'll say in the opening remarks and the opening prayer that we come in peace. We come to this place out of love. We come here out of concern. We come here in solidarity with the moms, the dads, the grandparents that are coming in here. And we simply want to help them. We stand in solidarity with them and with their baby. And I say in, in my remarks, you know, we come with hatred for none and with love for all, including the people that run the facility. Now, I'm not talking necessarily directly to these people, these escorts, but they know I'm talking about them. We come with hatred towards none. We even have a concern for those who help to run these facilities and so forth. And we pray uh, that they may see the truth about what they're doing and about what we're doing and so forth. One of the things I, 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 I do, uh, besides, of course, there's the reading of scripture, there's the praying, the music, uh, peaceful music, prayerful music, all the, the worship music is all uh, can all be very impactful on these folks. But also simply, as we were saying before, they're in such a culture of denial, not even wanting to describe what they defend, that what I will sometimes do then in their presence is make sure they hear the descriptions of what mm. abortion is. Because they may never have heard it before. I mean, when they go for their escort training, they're not going to sit there and read to them from the medical textbook of how abortions are done. So I make sure, I want to make sure while I'm there that they're hearing this. And then another thing that I'll do in praying in front of these places and make sure these escorts hear it is I'll read a, a litany of names of moms that have been killed by their abortion. So we've got these names. We have a list of them on our Priest for Life website, priestforlife.org slash women killed. And uh, they're all documented cases of people who, because of various forms of malpractice, negligence on the part of the abortionist, or just the inherent uh, dangers of the procedure, uh, went into those abortion facilities but never came out alive, we'll read their names. And we'll commend them to the Lord and we'll ask, you know, Lord, let these, let these moms, you know, never be forgotten. And I think that this, too you know, has an impact on, uh, on these people that are standing there and uh, leading, leading women in. Uh, now, that's about, I think that's the best advice. I mean, will some of them want to engage in conversation 
every once in a while, maybe somebody, you know, maybe after the, the, the morning's appointments have finished or, or, or if you're there early enough when there are not too many people around and you, you, you have to also see what their, what their body language is and, and what their demeanor is. Some of them sometimes are willing to have a civil conversation, but pro-life people shouldn't go there expecting that that's going to be uh, the attitude of most of them because it, 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 it won't be. Mm. Well, that's really good. I, I really like that advice of reaching out to that person as if the escorts were not there like that. I think that actually is that that's the way to do it. Like that makes a lot of sense because essentially if you interact with the escorts while reaching out, the escorts are going to derail or they will success in blocking. Yeah. You'll inflame them. Yeah. You'll, you'll inflame them. And, and, you know, a lot of times the tensions get even higher. Tensions are high already. And, and, you know, it devolves into shouting matches and angry words. And, you know, when the attention, if the tensions escalate, you know, then, you know, you get a, you get a, you get a, a client that arrives and that's where, you know, there can end up being physical altercations too, because they're running, they're running to surround that, that young mother. And we're trying to get to them with literature and whatnot. And then it's so easy then for there to be, uh, you know, physical encounters and whatnot. And it can get very messy. One of the pieces of advice we always give, too, is that whoever's coming out there to pray, first of all, don't go alone. Always have at least one other person with you. You have a witness. And secondly, videotape everything that's going on. Now, that that used to be a harder um uh, thing to do than it is now, but now everybody's got the, you know, the phones, you can turn on the video. It's so simple and it's so wise too, that everything be mm-hmm. captured on video. If you have a group, let's say you come out with a group of four or five people to pray or to counsel, have one person designated that that's the only thing they do. Videotape oh, everything, make sure they got a good charge on the battery and, and just, just capture everything. Wow. That is, that's a really smart idea to have someone focused on videotaping while someone else is focused on reaching out and then having prayer support makes it, makes it, uh, work. Um, yeah. Wow. That's what... Yeah. And don't, and, and we're not, we're not talking about videotaping it secretly either. You want people to see that you're videotaping it because that's going to, they know what that means. That means if, if there's a, if someone calls the police and they try to make a claim, you, you shoved me, you know, Oh, all you have to do is turn on the video. No, I didn't take a look, you know, and, and everybody knows uh, that that with videotapes going, you're not going to be able to deny that you did something you did. uh, And you're going to be safe from being accused of doing something that you didn't. Uh, so let them not only videotape it, let it be very clearly seen by everybody that you're videotaping it. Oh, that's so, that is really good advice. I, I used to think of the videotape as being something I might use in case there was a lawsuit. And, and I, we used to do it, but I've been out there several times recently and I have not been videotaping, but it makes a lot of sense because, you know, when you're dealing with someone who consistently lies there's no reason to, you know, to, you know, to expect anything, anything more when you're fighting against, yeah, the group that consistently puts up false beliefs. Every, every, every pro-abortion statement essentially is built on a false belief. Like, there, I don't think there's an exception to that rule. 
It is. That's right. It, it, that's exactly right. And, and and the other thing, too, to keep in mind is don't be intimidated by, first of all, don't be intimidated by them videotaping you. Sometimes they think that intimidates us. Or they, I see them taping. I wave to the camera. Hey, folks. Hey, how you doing? God bless you. you know. And secondly, you know, they might invoke privacy. Oh, you're violating this person's privacy. No, you're not. There's no expectation of privacy out on a public sidewalk. You know, when people are walking out in public, you got to, you got Part of the price of, of, of walking out in public is that anybody can videotape you at any time and they can do what they want with that video. So it, it, there's no expectation of privacy. You're not violating someone's privacy simply because you got the video camera going. Nor are we saying that, you know, we're going to take this video and post it on YouTube, you know, in the next hour. We're not going to do that either. We're just videotaping for our own protection uh, if somebody should tr do something or accuse us of something later. Wow, on. that is excellent, excellent advice. And yeah, and and cell phones make it so easy. There's no, yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, nothing. You know, beyond what people already have, it it, it works with what you already have, and so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yes. so yes. the election is coming up. Um, what might you say to people yes. who are listening? You know, when it comes to the election and when it comes to local politics, when it comes to all politics, what might you what might you say, Father Frank? Well, you know, Jacob, especially in this election now, most people believe that America is going in the wrong direction. Uh, most people think eh, the country is a little bit dysfunctional right now, whether it's on these moral issues like abortion or whether it's uh, that we don't have uh Safety, you know, crimes are on the rise, historically on the rise. Obviously, the economy, the inflation, gasoline, uh, groceries, the prices are out of control. Uh, problems on the with the border. We basically have no southern border. Uh, international problems. America is not enjoying the kind of esteem that we have traditionally enjoyed. It's a lot of things that people are looking at. And they're saying, I don't like this. And it, it's not that it's a political thing or a partisan thing. It's just that people want a country that works, that works for them, for their families, for their children, for their churches. We want religious freedom. And we see that we see the censorship. We see discrimination. We see uh, all kinds of stuff. That I think the first thing to keep in mind as we approach these elections now is that by our vote, everybody has an opportunity right now to change things, to, to put our country in a new direction. We have that opportunity. And again, I believe it transcends how a person identifies as Republican, Democrat, independent, because Republicans, Democrats and independents all can see that in so many ways, the country's not working. So maybe we got to try something different. Maybe we need some new leadership. And um, and maybe we need some divided government because we know that the, you know, the policies coming out of the White House and coming out of the House of Representatives and coming out of the Senate are essentially all leading in the same direction. And if that direction's not working, one of the safety valves that our founding fathers put into our system of self-governance is that we could have a House of Representatives of a different party than the Senate or the House and the Senate of a different party than the White House. And the result of that is 
that there are nobody has absolute power. And, and that's a good thing in American politics and government. The, the system is set up in a way that nobody has absolute power. There's checks and balances, there's divided government, um, and elections give us a chance uh, to introduce some measure of, of change. Voting is, is, is not just a right, it's a duty. And let's look at it spiritually for a moment. We were talking earlier about, early in the program, about you know love of God, love of neighbor. And we were saying that this is what you know, ultimately is the motivating factor for, you know, getting involved in something like pro-life. Well, it's the motivating factor for, for voting. And people might not think of it in those terms as, well, what does voting have to do with love of neighbor? Well, let's think of it this way. When we, we vote, we put people, we give people significant power when we vote, power to write our laws, to enforce our laws, to make court decisions. And all those decisions and all those laws have impact on us and on our neighbor. They have impact across the country. So part of loving our neighbor is to say, let me do what I can to make sure my neighbor has the best kind of leaders they can have, the best kind of lawmakers, the best kind of judges. I'll have them too. But it actually is an act of love of neighbor to try to vote in a way that advances what the church calls the common good. What's the best thing for the, for the people and for their rights? Uh, so look at voting as an exercise of, of love of neighbor and also love of God, because God gave us our system of uh, governance. You know, there's all different types of government, but God is the one ultimately who establishes human authority. And it's an act of, of love of God. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Be a good citizen of God's kingdom. Be a good citizen of the kingdoms here on earth, our nations here on earth. Uh, it's a spiritual responsibility, and let's carry it out in, in, in an informed way. We have to do our homework and not just, you don't want to vote like you're, you know, shooting at a dartboard in the, in the dark, you know. Oh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Let me, I don't know who this person is, but I'll give them my vote. No, we should know ahead of time who these people are on the ballot. And, and, and we can look up our ballot online. There's a great voter guide. There's an electronic voter guide called iVoterGuide, iVoterGuide.com. You can look up the races in your particular state. You'll find a lot of them, not, both uh, federal, state, and local races. And Ballotpedia is another one, Ballotpedia.com. You know, just like also with iVoterGuide, you can find your ballot. The first time you look at your ballot should not be when you're filling it out to vote. It should be well in advance. Let's do our homework and let's take part in this process because it's a way of showing God gratitude for the fact that we are able to elect our leaders. We're able to hire them. We're able to fire them if they need to be fired. And we do that with gratitude to the God who gave us freedom. Yeah, and this will be the first, well, we're in a new era in the in the Dobbs era where uh, the power, the political power over pro-life laws or, uh, you know, abortion restrictions is now within the state governments. And, and so every, every, I think every race from, you know, the local, um, the local Senate all the way down to the local school board, school board have immense uh, influence on our local communities. And when it comes to making healthy decisions for our communities. And so I think, uh, I mean, it, it's always, you know, oh, yes. it, they've always had power for influencing our communities. But I think that the the life, you know, 
the uh, the power to make laws or you know decisions that involve abortion has now been renewed in that space based on Roe being overturned. Well, that's an important point. You know, for I'm sure many of our audience shares uh, the conviction that I do that there is no issue more important than the protection of life itself, because all our other rights, goods, and freedoms depend on being alive. You got to protect. If you take away someone's life, you've taken away their education, their housing, their health care, their mm. right to vote, their right to work, their right to security, their right to travel. I mean, everything falls when you deprive a person of life, especially right there at the beginning while they're still in the womb. So now that the Dobbs case, the Dobbs case said abortion policy is going to be set by the people and their elected representatives. So the election now means even more than it did before when it comes to abortion policy, because before, before Dobbs, yeah, a lot of a lot of pro-life laws were passed, but then they were struck down by the courts because of the courts were saying, well, Roe v. Wade, it allows abortion. We strike down this law that prevents it. But now the court said, no, we're not going to stand in your way anymore. That's essentially what the Dobbs case was. We are not going to stand in your way, people and your elected representatives. You take abortion policy the way, the way you see is best. Well, which way is that going to be? Exactly depends on whom we elect to make our laws. And also a lot of elections of judges. Judges are very important. We elect them to make sure they got the right judicial philosophy, that they're not supposed to be the lawmakers. They're supposed to be impartial, just judges based on the Constitution and on the laws that are written already. Awesome. Well, I've got one final question for you, Father Frank. And so I was talking with um, Andrea uh, Trudden with Heartbeat International before this podcast. And so I oh, asked yes. her, if there was yes. one question that you could ask Father Frank Pavone, what would it be? And she said <laughs> that I would, it would be really interesting to hear how much fun you enjoy being on a roller coaster. I, I, I've heard that she mentioned that roller yes. coasters are one of your favorite activities or riding on a roller coaster. So could you take a moment and just describe well, how you she, enjoy roller coasters? She obviously knows me well, and I, 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 I always speak at the Heartbeat International Conference, and I enjoy seeing her there uh, and at other, at other times, too. I love roller coasters. In fact, um, I grew up near an amusement park, Rye Playland in New York. Many may know about it. And uh, I just, it's the first hill. Right, going down the first hill. Now I like being in the back of the roller coaster. If you're in the the last seat, going down the hill is faster uh, than if you're in the first seat. A lot of people run to the first seat. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, you see everything there. But but going to the last seat and it's fast as going. I love even the the metal ones that go you know all the way upside down. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. To this day, I enjoy it. This I was visiting with my parents uh, up in New York uh, this uh, just this summer. And uh, I went to that old amusement park where I grew up and I went on the roller coaster. Um, it's a it's something that is just a, some people have said to me, you know, Father Frank, you know, the reason you like it so much is that your life is a roller coaster, you know, engaging in the front lines of the pro-life movement and what the things you do. And maybe that's maybe, you, you know, maybe you enjoy the things that reflect the way you live. I don't know. But uh, roller coasters to this very day. Uh, are really just great, great fun for me. Oh, that's good. That's good.
step, turn around, take the step. Put on the armor of God, put on the armor of God, put on the armor of God, put on the armor of God. Strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Take a step, turn around, take a step. Going to war, going to war, going to war, going to war. Not against flesh, but against the darkness. Not against flesh, but against the darkness. Turn around, take a step, turn around. Take a step, turn around, take